Inshallah, we hope to complete this hadith uh, tonight, bismillah ta'ala. The first time we addressed this hadith was the Sanad prior to Ramadan. We covered the, the names of the narrators of the hadith up to the beginning of the text. And then last week, alhamdulillah, after a big break of Ramadan, we went back and we examined uh, the text of the hadith. Inshallah, we hope to close it out tonight. Um, one beautiful point, I mean, they are just to remind ourselves that every aspect of the discussion, uh, it goes without saying, is not exhaustive in the sense that everything that has been written about it or has been mentioned by the scholars is repeated. Sometimes we feel that while wow, we're going so much in depth, but uh, I really don't have words to express how much more is written that we're not speaking about. For example, we spoke so much about the Sanad in the last session before Ramadan, the entire period, the whole hour, but by no means is that the end of the discussion. One such point that I will share with everyone again today is if you look at uh, the, the sanad of the previous hadith and this hadith, there is a latif ishara. Latif ishara means a very subtle indication Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi is giving. That is why I scrolled back up. If you see, uh, this chapter is known as Kitabu Badil Wahi, the book of Revelation. So the subtle ishara, the indication is in the narrators, in the ruat, uh, is also linked with wahi itself. So the wahi that came upon Rasulullah as we know, this divine revelation began where? In Makkah. And then it continued on to Medina. So that is why in the surahs we have the Makki surahs, then we have the Badani surahs. And kaifa kana badal wahi, how the revelation began. So we have hadith number one and then we have hadith number two. We are now on hadith number two. So hadith number one, it has here Haddathana Al-Humaydiyu, Abdullah bin Zubair. This is his whole sanad. SubhanAllah, mentioned here. Abdullah bin Zubair, right? Al-Humaydiyu, Abdullah bin Zubair. So this is one of the mashayikh of Bukhari. And Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi, selected this teacher's narration to be the first one. It's not only because he wanted to select that text, but rather he also selected the narrator. How so? It's because the same text, he narrates this same text through multiple different teachers. So if he wanted to include this hadith, hadith number one, he didn't have to go through Haddasan al-Humaydiyu. He has more than 10, 20, 30 different teachers and different chains by, by which he could have narrated the what? Same hadith. But he selected Al-Humaydiyu. And Humaydi is a Makki Sheikh. It's from Makkah al-Mukarramah. So this Sanad, it has the Makki narrators. And then when you come to the second one, it has the greatest of the Madani narrators. We talked about this. You remember Imam Malik? He's known as Imam of Medina, Imam Udar al-Hijrah. And Hisham bin Urwa Madani, Urwa bin Zubair. These are Madani narrators. 
There are many narrators from Medina, but Imam Malik is known as the Imam of Ahlul Medina. His school, the Fiqh al-Maliki, is known as what? The Fiqh of Ahlul Medina, the Madinan way. Just like the Hanafi Fiqh is known as the Fiqh of Ahlul Iraq, because Imam Abu Hanifa was from Kufa, Iraq. And Imam Abu Yusuf, Qadib Yusuf, was from Kufa. And Imam uh, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani is from Kufa. Imam Zufar is from Kufa. The Iraqi school. So Imam Malik is the Madani school. So he, he brought the Madani narrators in hadith number two. So the ishara in the indication is very now clear. That the wahi began where? In Makkah. And then the wahi moved on to Medina. Subhanallah. Now every week we have brothers who are joining us or sisters who are joining us on-site and online who may not have been here in the previous sessions. So this is always a challenge because um, you're going to jump right into the discussion. If you want to recap what we covered, then we will never be moving forward. It's like, alhamdulillah, we are in good weather now, but remember when it's snowing and the wheels are spinning or before the gravel was put in the parking lot, I mean not parking lot, the next door property, those who got stuck, so the wheels are spinning. We're going to be spinning wheels, not moving forward. So we cannot repeat everything. But at the same time, we understand that we, uh, it's been a while, it's been a whole week. So let us quickly just uh, read the translation at least. And for barakah's sake, look, read the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Harith ibn Hisham, the brother of Abu Jahl, radiallahu anhu, sa'ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, faqala ya Rasulullah, he said, O Messenger of Allah, how do you receive the revelation? How does the wahi come to you? We talked about this. He's asking him, just like Ibrahim said, How do you bring the dead back to life, O oh Allah? Not because of lack of belief, but rather he wanted to learn how. Sometimes it comes to me like the ringing of the bells. Okay, you, we, we talked about why you're giving the example of beautiful wahi with bells. I thought that was for the Christians. Ringing of the bells. And the answers to that, last week's recording. And this is the most severe form. And when this wahi comes to an end, I have completely memorized and I have understood that which has been revealed. And sometimes the wahi comes in the form of, the angel comes in the form of a human being. And the, the angel speaks to me just like I'm speaking to you, a human speech. So I understand and memorize as he is speaking to me, what he spoke to me. And I have myself observed Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yanzilu alayhi al-wahyu fil yawm al-shadeed al-bard that the wahi is being revealed upon him on a very, very cold day fayafsimu anhu and when the wahi revelation comes to a conclusion inna jabinahu layatafassadu araqa that his forehead, the sweat is dripping off of it. There are so basically, when Harith bin Hisham is asking Nabi sallallahu how does the wahi come? He gives two answers and two ways he describes in this hadith. 
um, one question that comes up is that we learned in the previous lessons, we can go back again, that the wahi comes in many different forms. We covered six forms. And that was based on the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that مَا كَانَ لِبَشْرٍ أَنْ يُكَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا وَاحِيًا وَمِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ وَيُرْسِلَ رَسُولًا فَيُوحَيْ بِإِذْنِي مَا يَشَاءٍ And we went over the, those three uh, explanations of those three in the Quranic ayah and each one had two, so it was six types. Anyway, there are different ways where he comes beyond uh, two. So the question is, why in this particular hadith, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa answered in two forms and mentioned two forms only. Is there any particular hikmah of why Rasulullah when he was asked the question, he did not give all of the six types. He only gave two. That's the question. So the answer is multiple answers have been given. Some that make sense and will be inshallah beneficial for us is that the purpose here is that Nabi wasallam is limiting his response to the scenarios where Jibreel is bringing the revelation to him in a state of wakefulness. And Jibreel that when he is in a state of wakefulness, meaning he's not speaking about a ru'ya saliha, that's going to come in, or sadiqa, the true dreams, that is coming in the next hadith. Hadith number three, it's the true dreams. He's not talking about true dreams. He's only talking about how Jibreel comes. And when he's awake, so no true dreams. And through Jibreel, meaning he's not speaking about directly speaking with Allah. That happened as well in Mi'raj. Right? When Allah Ta'ala directly speaks. After the session ended last time, one of the brothers who attended, he asked, is it always to Jibreel the wahi? And I said, yes. It's yes and no, depends on what we're talking about. If you're speaking about the Quran, right, I wanted to go back and refer to, uh, speak to the brother, but then I said I'll share with everyone. Is if you're talking about the Quran, the Quran, the, all, the entire Quran is wahi, but the entire wahi is not limited to Quran. Right? Because wahi is other, uh, other than Quran, there is wahi. Wahi means inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the whole Quran is Wahi. The whole Quran is from Allah. But Wahi is not limited to Quran because all of the Ahadith Qudsiyah, that's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, the other Ahadith which are attributed to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa they are also a form of Wahi. Because the Wahi is divided into two types. Wahi which is Matlu, we recite and make tilaw of it in the form of Quran. And there's the Wahi which is Ghair Matlu, which we do not recite in the Salah. Right? Anything that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said is wahi. It's divine inspiration. Allah Ta'ala said so in Surah Al-Najm. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ He does, uh, that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam does not speak from his own desires. إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحِيٌ يُوحَىٰ He actually explicitly used the word wahi. Whatever he says is a revelation from Allah. And you may recall the example of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As his father was Amr ibn al-As, a great diplomat of the Arab, a leader, politician, statesman. He was the one in his jahiliyyah, he strove against Islam. 
And when the Sahaba had migrated to Habasha, Ethiopia in the first Hijrah, he was the spokesman on behalf of the Quraysh who went to Najashi in Habasha, the king of the Ethiopians, with gifts and tried to bribe them and say to the king, please send these believers, these Muslims back so they could be tormented. Na'udhu Billah. That is how he was before Islam. But then he accepted Islam and subhanAllah, he became a great force for Haq as well. And, and he was the Fatih of Misr, the conqueror of Egypt, mashallah, in the era of Ahmad bin Khattab radiallahu anhum. And he has many, mashallah, exploits before Islam, after Islam. So he's Amr ibn al-As. But his son was very different. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. He was a more introverted scholar, Zahid Abid worshipper. He was not a man of action and dashing on, like Amr ibn Nas, the father. An interesting trivia fact is there was about 13 years difference between the father and the son. So he had become a very young father in the Jahiliyyah. Amr ibn Nas So this Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Nas was a Zahid Abid and what he used to do is he used to write everything that Rasulullah was saying. Abu Hurairah himself said that all of you are flocking to learn hadith from me in Medina. And everyone says that, mashallah, you are the gold medalist of the Madrasa Sufa of Rasulullah. And you are the top student. 5,700 hadith or more are narrated from him. Anabi Hurairah, his name comes all the time. So he said that all of you consider me to have the no most knowledge of a hadith of Rasulullah However, there is my brother, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, but he is more in seclusion and he is in Egypt, whereas Abu Hurairah was in Medina. So he said, uh, He has knowledge of more hadith than I do. Because he used to write and I would not write. So Abu Hurairah would rely on his memory and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Las would write. Now the reason Abu Hurairah's name is more than Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Las, was there some bias, a discrimination? No, it is, these are the conditions that come upon a person in his life. That he ended up being in Medina so, people from around the Muslim world were, uh, were coming to Medina. Who? Abu Hurairah was in Medina. He stayed many years. He had a long life in Medina. So, there were so many opportunities for generations to come and benefit from him. And those students acquired the knowledge of hadith and they transmitted his sunnah throughout the world, Muslim world and beyond. Whereas, Abdullah bin Amr bin was in seclusion in, in Egypt. People at that time, of course, Egypt became a markaz of Ilm later on centuries later, but at that time it wasn't beginning stages, early era of Sahaba. So he didn't have muqaddar, it wasn't decreed for him to have students, so that's why the, the narrations that are attributed to him are less. He said, He used to write and I would not write. So Abdullah bin Amr bin al-Azwa, whenever you would hear Nabi say anything, he would be writing it down. Everything. Then one day he stopped. So, Nabi asked him, what happened? I noticed a change in your behavior, pattern that you were writing, and then why did you stop? So he said that people objected, and they told me that 
you know, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is sometimes happy and sometimes upset. And sometimes he is uh, excited, sometimes he's sad. And um, whatever he's saying in all conditions, you're just writing everything down. So you should not do that. You should only take notes when there's the official dars and khutbah. Write that down. Don't just go around writing everything. So then I got scared. Maybe what I'm doing is wrong. So I said, okay, let me just stop this. So then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, no, no. Don't fall for what others are saying. Continue writing. And he said, لَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُمَا إِلَّا الْحَقِّ Nothing will come out from my two lips, but it is the truth. It is revealed from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Does it make a difference if I'm happy or if I'm sad? Or I'm anxious or not? It's not going to make a difference, inshaAllah. Whatever, لَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُمَا Whatever comes out from between these two. Two minhuma is referring to two, uh, the two lips. Whatever comes out between, from between the two lips, إِلَّا الْحَقِّ It's not but the truth. So the wahi is, uh, all the Qur'an is wahi, but all the, all the wahi is not necessarily the Qur'an. There is wahi outside of Qur'an. I covered some of these examples in different contexts in Ramadan. Those who attended after Witr, we talked about, for example, Naskh one day, abrogation. We talked about the fact that Allah Ta'ala says, for example, we're not going to go over the whole abrogation, nor about the Tahweel Qibla, but just a reference for those who are present. Do you recall Allah Ta'ala mentioned that قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجِكَ فِي السَّمَاءَ we have seen how you on Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam continually are looking up to the sky, waiting for revelation. Now the command is, you may face Makkah. We will, give you the, we will grant you that Qibla that will please you. You may now face Makkah. So where were they facing before they were facing Makkah? Mazal Aqsa. So where, where does it say in the Quran to face Mazal Aqsa? It's not in the Quran. So but it, was Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam praying towards Mazal Aqsa on his own? Ishtihad or did he receive wahi? He received wahi. But it's not in the Quran. So what does this prove? Again, that's just one of many such examples of wahi coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is not in the, in the form of the Quran. So that wahi, the, okay, now the wahi, if someone says, is the Quran revealed? How is the Quran revealed? Is the Quran revealed through Jibreel alayhi salam? Yes. The entire Quran is because Allah ta'ala says in the Quran, Nazala bihi ruhul ameen. The trustworthy angel Jibreel, he brought the Quran. When uh, in Mi'raj, for example, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is traveling with Jibreel Alayhi Salaam, same Jibreel Alayhi Salaam, he goes up to Siddhat al-Muntaha and after that Jibreel Alayhi Salaam says what? I cannot go further. And he goes, فَأَوْحَا إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ مَا أَوْحَا Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Al-Najam that Allah had revealed on his Nabi that which he revealed unto him. So, um, this is ambiguous, right? فَأُوحَا إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ Allah sent, gave, gave his wahi to his slave. What did he say? مَا أُوحَا That would he reveal unto him. So, um, what's the point of saying that? Because you really did not tell us much, right? There is a point. The point is that I spoke to him and I want you to know I spoke to him, Allah is saying. And I also want you to know that what I spoke to him, that's between me and him. And you are all beneath the status, you don't even need to know what was happening. 
you just need to know that I did speak to him and what I spoke to him is none of your business that's between us sometimes for example if the kids are asking hey what are we what, to the parents what were you whispering to each other about so, right <laughs> so the, the, the daddy will say that you know that's the talk between daddy and mommy you need to go to bed right so um, what daddy said to mommy that's what daddy said to mommy then you'll say, hey, you, you did not really shed much light on the matter, Dad. You have not specified what you said. That's the whole point. So Allah Ta'ala used the word wahi. Where's Jibreel alayhi salam there? Was it through Jibreel? It was not through Jibreel. How do you know? For a fact it was not through Jibreel because he was uh, not granted a visa beyond that point. His access was limited. Right? He had limited, he, he was beyond his pay grade. He could not go beyond that. He didn't have clearance for that. SubhanAllah. So, now, there are different types of wahi. One of the wahi is, hijab, that Allah Ta'ala directly speaks. And then there is a wahi through the dreams, etc. So, in this hadith, when Nabi Wasallam is not giving all of those, why? That was a question going back to the answer. The answer is, in this hadith, Nabi Wasallam is giving the response only of Bayanul Wahi bi wasitati Jibreel. That Wahi which comes through the medium of Jibreel alayhi salam. And fi halatil yaqadha, while he is awake. Now, why is he limiting it to this? Okay, fine, you're saying he's limiting it to the scenarios involving Jibreel in the condition of wakefulness. But what's the point of limiting it? There are two reasons for limiting it. First reason to limit it to, the, to this scenario is because this is the scenario which is unique to Ambiya. Because if you start including dreams, then dreams are not limited to Ambiya. The awliya and the beloved ones of Allah, they also receive true dreams. The nature of the true dream is going to be of a lesser level, but the, the true dreams are not specific to Anbiya. Allah Ta'ala grants basharat and glad tidings through dreams on His righteous servants. The legislative nature of those dreams, meaning can you prove Sharia through these dreams, is a different matter. But the true dreams will continue. And the, the inspiration in the dreams is coming from whom? Allah. So that's why he didn't want to go there. He wants to speak about those attributes which are found amongst Anbiya only. And then the second reason is that he wanted to mention those forms of Wahi which are found Jami'ul Anbiya, all of the Prophets, not specifically Musa Kalimullah and Muhammad Rasulullah. Which one is that? Speaking to Allah directly. So speaking to Allah directly is only for Muhammad and Musa salam. So he didn't want to mention that because that's very too specific. Only two individuals. And true dreams, he don't want to mention that. Why not? Because that's not limited to only Anbiya. It's also including Awliya. So you don't want to go too specific. Only Muhammad and Musa salam. And you don't want to go too general to include all of the awliya as well. The target demographic that you are looking at is which one? All Anbiya. And only all Anbiya.
So that is Jibreel alayhi salam. And that is Jibreel alayhi salam in the state of wakefulness. And that Jibreel alayhi salam in the state of wakefulness, the wahi is going to come in which scenarios? How many scenarios? Two, only two. That's the reason the two are mentioned in this hadith. Does that answer that? Subhanallah. The first one was al-Jaras was like the ringing of the bell and we covered that subhanallah there is um, one issue here where we saw that the words were here this is the most severe form so one is to be shadid to be uh, is to be um, difficult and then ashad means the most difficult Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa didn't say it is difficult for me. He said it was the most difficult. Meaning the other forms were difficult perhaps as well. But this is the most difficult one. One of the reasons it was the most difficult one we spoke about last time. The Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa That there is Jibreel alayhi salam is transmitting the wahi to him. And they have to be at the same level. Jibreel alayhi salam is coming from the malaki, angelic nature. And Nabi Sallallahu is the Bashari, the human individual. So if he has to elevate himself, there are different words for this. There is Alam of Nasut and Alam al Malakut. Nasut is the physical Bashar, human being, and Alam Malakut is the angelic, ruhani, spiritual uh, level. So if Nabi Sallallahu is elevating himself to come onto the level of Jibreel, that is the difficulty he faces. And if Jibreel comes down to the human level, that is a difficulty Jibreel faces easy for Rasulullah. Now, the question was why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have to make it difficult? Why couldn't it have been easy? Easy peasy. Right? Could have been very easy. Why, what's the purpose of making it difficult? So there are. Allah knows best how many reasons and wisdoms they are. But there are two wisdoms behind why it is difficult mentioned. And there are lessons for us in those two reasons. One is the Azamat al-Wahi and one is the Azamat al-Muha'ilih. Azamat al-Wahi means, means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show the Azma and the Haiba and the Maqam, the high position, the lofty position of the wahi itself because that which is valuable and it has a high maqam and position in the world from whatever perspective you're looking at is not something really easy to achieve and grasp but requires sacrifice and effort to be able to acquire it and just like we had for example uh, a few days ago the Dora defense right so in the Dora defense, what happened is the students from after seven years of studies, they had to present their thesis. And they had to prove that their thesis is on a topic that no one had mentioned before, the particular focused uh, paper they are pr producing. And also they had to prove the fact that um, it's necessary and they're pr presenting something new that's needed before they get their topic even approved, right? By their mentor and in the process we didn't make it that uh, difficult we were quite inshallah I hope from our perspective nice 
uh, to them. But in many institutes, right, um, like we have some of our students, um, once upon a time, he was a student, but mashallah, is a great scholar, Sheikh Ali, he graduated from Jamia Azhar. So he was telling us that in Jamia Azhar, in the defense of, the, of their thesis, it is so brutal, it is so difficult, and the person is put on the spot in front of a whole audience of scholars and a whole panel of great mashayikh, Shaykh al-Azhar and Shaykh al-Misr and Mufti al-Diyar al-Misriya, the great scholars. And they keep on asking questions left and right. They actually go through his 500-page thesis from beginning till end. And they keep on attacking him about this and that and this. Why did you write this? Why did you say that? Cross-reference this. What's the proof for this? In the footnotes here, you mentioned this. You cited this source incorrectly. Whatever the case is. He has to go through that whole grueling process. And the purpose of that is so that there is a maqam now. That subhanAllah. All those sitting on the bench asking the questions, they went through that rigorous um, cross-examination almost, you could say, in their own time. So that gives the maqam to the, to the degree. So we have, mashallah, physicians here. Right? So there is a reason why the resident is, is sometimes not, is like abused, right? So much the resident is... You know, I was speaking to one resident, he was saying that, subhanAllah, okay, if my seniors and the, um, the attending physician, if he is just barking at me orders and mistreating me, I'll say, okay, fine, he's my attending. But there are nurses, there are techs, they're also abusing us. We, get, we are like madhroom of the whole hospital. Everyone is abusing us. Why are you a resident? You're worse than the, no, people abuse us more than they abuse like if you want to do it just on pay scale, okay, we're getting paid more than the janitor. But they're not going to abuse the janitor, they're going to abuse us, the resident. And then he says, subhanAllah, it's very ajeeb that I'm the same individual. As soon as you pass your residency and now you're not a resident, you're, you, you're uh, mashallah, you're now uh, attending yourself. Then, okay, those who were uh, mistreating you, all of a sudden their behavior changes. So if you go through, you have to go through the grueling process because of the maqam, the title you're getting. Um, so over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show the maqam of wahi, that it is not a joke. It is a very, very great thing you're receiving. So it's not going to come so easy. And... The more easily available something is, the lesser, the, 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 even if it's necessary, like water is so necessary, but it's so easily available, alhamdulillah, most for us, some places not so easily available, air is so easily available, but if there's something, like if you're just talking about food and drink, something that it requires a lot of effort to acquire, and it's, it's very rare, I don't want to give example of all these random foods, and sitting in this masjid house of Allah, but like whatever, caviar or this or that. Some random expensive stuff. So, so there are spices, then there's zafran, saffron. It's the most valuable, what? Spice in the world. So it, ha- it requires a specific climate and, 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 and this and that for it to grow. So that adds value to it. You have rocks and landscaping rocks, and then you have semi-precious stones, then you have diamonds, right? Some of it is artificially created, this whole value. That's one whole reason. The azma of the wahi. 
And then the second reason is the Azmatul Muha to give the high maqam to the one who is receiving the revelation. Who is that? Rasulullah. How is this going to give him a high maqam? It is because the Sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that the more mujahada and sacrifice a person undergoes in his worldly life, the higher his level will be in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First, the sacrifices a person undergoes will become a means of forgiveness of that individual's sins. That's the first maqam. What is that called? Mahwus sayyiat. Forgiveness of sins. And a person is undergoing sacrifice upon sacrifice, mujahada upon mujahada, in fi sabirillah, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then what happens? All the sins are, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, all the sins are forgiven. Hatta yamshi ala wajhil ardi wa ma alayhi khati'atun. Khati'atun. To such a point comes, this person is undergoing so many trials, so much stress, so much anxiety, so many difficulties in his life. Allahu Akbar. Yamshi ala wajhil ardi. He is still walking on the surface of the earth. He is still walking on the surface of the earth. And he does not have a single sin left in his book of deeds. It's not that Allah will forgive him in the akhirah. What happened? All his sins are forgiven because he is making so much sabr. And then what happens? He's still undergoing trials though. Now what's going on? New phase. Phase two. What's phase two? Rafa'ud darajat. Further elevation of status. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his status was being elevated. Whoever's status is elevated is not because they have any special link with Allah Ta'ala, a special deal, but rather they had more sacrifice. nasi bala'an al-anbiya, the severest trials were upon the anbiya of Allah, thumma al-amthal, then those next in rank, thumma al-amthal minan nas, then those next in rank. Like Fatima radiallahu anha, if she's the queen of the woman of Jannah, it's a very important statement. It has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that she is what? Daughter of Rasulullah That's absolutely, with all due respect, irrelevant to the fact that she is. It's a very bold statement, but it's an important statement. Because being the daughter or the son of a Nabi, forget about that being a means of elevation in status, or becoming king or queen of Jannah, if that had any effect, then we see, uh, unfortunately on the contrary, what do we see? Kanaan, what happened? Son of Nuh Islam. His father is not only a Nabi, he's a Rasul. He's not only a Rasul, he's Ulul Azam min al-Rasul. Top ranking Rasul, right? Yet what happened? Is he a, a, Sayyid al-Shabaab Ahl Jannah, leader of the youth of Jannah? He's not even, na'udhu billah, unfortunately, he's not even in Jannah. And the reason we can say that with we cannot say that about anyone alive today. In fact, those who passed away also, we don't know technically how they died. But we can say that with confidence about him. And the reason we can is because Allah already said so in the Quran. Right? He, he is not your son, O Noah. He, 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 do not ask me to forgive him. The long story. We mention that story in normal talks all the time, so you're aware of that. Allah Akbar. So, 
the um, Fatima radiallahu anha, her maqam was highest because she had the most mujahada, sacrifice. So Rasulullah if he was going to be granted the highest maqam in Jannah, doesn't he not have the highest maqam? He has the highest maqam. Miftahul Jannati al-Qiyamah, the key of Jannah will be in my hands. And Jannah is haram upon the Anbiya to enter it until I enter it. And the Liwa al-Hamdi al-Qiyamah, the flag of Hamd will be in my hand on the day of Qiyamah. And I will be the leader of the humanity in front of Allah on al Qiyamah. And I will do the shafa'ah for the creation on al Qiyamah. And his maqam will be manifest to the entire creation on the day of judgment. So he had to undergo the greatest amount of sacrifice. And that sacrifice, that mujahada, it was in many forms. One of them was even the entire wahi process was difficult for him. For example, from a son's perspective or a daughter's perspective, from a child's perspective, for you to come into the world, how did you come into the world? You had a father and you had a mother. So the process for the father for you to come in the world was much easier. The process for the mother was what? Allah, so difficult. Wahnan ala wahan. Wahnan ala wahnin. Wasayna al insani biwalidehi. Hamalatu ummuhu. His mother bore him. Wahnan ala wahnin. Pain upon pain. Wahnan ala wahnin. Pain upon pain. From the first trimester, the nausea. Second trimester, third. To the delivery itself, subhanAllah, labor pain. Imagine without epidurals, right? Or all the difficulty in the past until today. Not to say. So much pain. So then now when the maqam comes, when the maqam is there is the maqam of the father and there's the maqam of the mother. So who, who, who has a higher maqam? The mother. Who, uh, Nabi uh, the Sahabi came and asked Rasulullah who do I owe more to? Who do I owe my allegiance more to? Everyone knows this hadith, but we're talking about in this context to refresh our memory. Ummuk, your mother. Then who? Your mother. Then who? Your mother. Then who? Your father. Alright? So why is it? Why the mother has so much maqam? Because she has so much mujahada. Isn't it? So much sacrifice she gave. How come nobody says that this is discrimination against dads? What about, right? The, this is prejudice. You're prejudiced against dads. Dads are men. Moms are women. So you're giving higher maqam to women than men. There's no higher maqam to women than men or men to women. It depends on the nature of the relationship. This is an example where if you are looking at the perspective of father versus mother, the maqam of the mother is higher. But you look at the maqam of the husband and the wife, the maqam of the husband is higher. The maqam of the husband is higher than that of the wife, not because he's a male, but because Allah has given the responsibility of the husband to be the head of the family. Fine, we'll say the wife is the heart of the family. Make it, right? The husband is the head of the family. The wife is the heart of the family. The, so the, the, the maqam of the husband is higher than the wife is difficult to say. The maqam of the mother is higher than the maqam of the father. It's very easy to say in this day and age. So the reason the wahi is difficult, that was the question. Why is the wahi difficult? To elevate the status of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. More mujahada he went through, 
the more higher his maqam will be. And this is, somebody says, why, why, why does it have to be hard? Because this is known as sunnatullah. This concept I covered in different contexts in the past too, but every time I see new faces. There's a sunnatullah, there is qudratullah. Remember these two words. One is a sunnatullah, one is the qudratullah. Qudratullah is what Allah is qadir, he, what he can do. And what is, is that limited? Qudratullah is unlimited amongst that. Qudratullah, the qudrat of Allah is unlimited amongst mumkinat, amongst those things that are possible. If something is mumkin, it's possible, then it's within the qudrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the qudrat of Allah is vast. Inna Allah ala kulli shayin qadir. Allah ta'ala has the qudrat to do everything. Ala kulli shayin. Now if you open like Jalalin, he'll just say ala kulli shayin. What will he say? Any Jalalin student here? No. Mumkinin. He just has one word. Everything that is mumkin. He just says one word and goes on. All of these atheists, your own kids, they're asking this question in school. It's a common question. The atheist professor will ask the student, oh, can God do everything? He says, the student, your son and daughter will say yes. Then the atheist professor will say, oh, can God create another God who's more powerful than him? Can God create the different ver versions? Can God create everything? Yeah. Can he create such a stone which is so heavy he cannot pick it up? Can he... All of these... So the answer to all of that is... Is Imam, uh, you know, the Mufassir, he just, he answers all of these, these atheists, they think they're so smart. But the problem, and then our kids, forget about kids getting confused, adults, parents will be confused. Oh my God, he can do it, we create everything, right? But why can't he create another God that's more powerful than him? Why can't he create a stone that's so heavy he can't pick it up? Why can't he create, and you get the drift, any of these such uh, theoretical things. It's because, ala kulli shayin mumkinin. Anything that has within it the ability to come into existence as possible, possibly existent, Allah has put to bring it into existence. But that by its very nature is mustahil al-wujud. It's impossible for it to come into existence. The deficiency is in that concept. That concept of sharik bari ta'ala, to be a partner of Allah, which has no outside existence in, in wujud. At a conceptual level, the deficiency is within that conceptual level of that, that uh, entity that the deficiency is it doesn't have within it the ability to come into existence. It's mustahil al-wujud, it's impossible to come into existence. Anything which is mumkin al-wujud is possible within it to come into existence, Allah can bring into existence if He wishes. But that which inherently doesn't have within it the ability to come into existence, because of its own deficiency, it can't come into existence, then Allah will not bring that into existence. But the deficiency is not within Allah, it's within that conceptual thing that you have come up with. Does that make sense? SubhanAllah. So that's why, the, if you, if you, uh, you know, Jalalin is known as, we teach the tafsir in the madrasa, it's so concise and brief. And he just, like this whole long concept, he, he mentions it in what, what, one word. And the objective of the author was that he wanted to explain the Quran in as, as brief as manner possible, approximately the same amount of words in the Quran, that's the amount of words in the tafsir. Jalalain, two Jalals. Jalaluddin Suyuti, Jalaluddin Mahalli. They wrote 15, 15, 15 juz approximately each. Anyway, 
So there is ala kulli shayin qadir. There's a qudrat of Allah. Allah Ta'ala, He can grant the highest level without any sacrifice. But the normal tartib of Allah is based on sacrifice, you will, then you will get the maqam. Sometimes, for example, if you like to analyze things, I would, I would, as a student, I would be, okay, you're studying seerah. You see there's, they're hungry, they're starving. Battle of Ahzab, for example. Balagatil qulubul hanajir. Hanajir. The hearts uh, are coming out to the throats. And Allahu Akbar, hunalika abtuliyal mu'minun. The believers are shaken. And there's severe tests. Wuzulzilu, zilzalan, shadidan. Because there's hunger, there's famine, there's, there's starvation. There's what else? Long siege. Plus what? Freezing cold, weeks, guarding, 3,000 against 10,000 on the khandaq, on the ditch. Yehud from inside are attacking. A lot of problems. Tying the stones on their bellies. Double stone on Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The whole scene. Then what happens is when Jabir Radlanu asks his wife, Oh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is starving. He's so hungry. And she says, Okay, fine, invite him. We'll sacrifice the baby goat. We know the story. The point of this, when he comes and he says, Okay, all Ansar al and you're all 3,000 invited. And he comes and he, subhanAllah, puts his noble saliva in that pot. And then he says, don't completely uncover it. So a hundred come eat full and go. And then another hundred, then another hundred. One thousand go, two thousand, three thousand are eating full. And then the food is not finished. So as a young student, when I read that, I was like, Man, that's so nice. I didn't, alhamdulillah, have a problem believing that. Alhamdulillah. My question was that, man, why can't that happen every day? Right? If it's so amazing, such a beautiful da'wat, next day all you need is another baby goat and you can have everyone. Why can't you have it every day? So now as you grow older and with the suhbat of mashayikh, then I came to realize, subhanAllah, that's not the sunnatullah. The sunnatullah in this earth, in this life is what? Test, mujahada. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُوَلَنَا Now, when the sacrifice in the mujahada reach the extreme peak, pinnacle to the breaking point, and Allah Ta'ala said, alluded to that. Surah what did He say? وَتَظُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ الظُّنُونَ You started ظُنُون, it's a pretty scary thing, but Allah Ta'ala is saying you started having, I don't want to say second thoughts, or started having doubts, but rather I would say, you started to become you started becoming hope, hopeless and a sense of uh, uh, huh? despondency. You became despondent. Like, what's going to happen now? What Mata Nasrullah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you such a bashara, such a glad tiding. To what? Give you quwa, give you strength to continue and carry on. Otherwise, these miracles could have been happening all the time. The Allah who is Qadir and has the qudra to give the miracle once, can he continue? Anyway, so the point is, alhamdulillah, why it was difficult. Now, we see one is difficult, one is easy. Is there any hikmah in that? There is hikmah in that. The hikmah in that, one of the forms being difficult, one of the forms being easy, is that there is a tarbiyah happening from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa and in the different forms of wahid that are coming, the difficult one and the easier one, different sifat are being transmitted from Allah Ta'ala to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He has two sifat that are uh, used in different occasions and in the most proper manner. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. He's the Rabbul Alameen. Now this Rabbul Alameen is manifested in two sides. 
One is the Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim angle. One is the Maliki Yawmuddin angle. The Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim is the softness, merciful side. And the Maliki Yawmuddin, the master of the Day of Judgment, is the Haybah and the fear side, fearful side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So likewise, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had two roles. Inna arsalaka shahidan wa mubashiran wa nadhira. Bringer of glad tidings and a bringer of warnings. And the Quran has wa'ad and wa'id, promises and warnings. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hadith have targheeb and targheeb, encouragement and glad tidings and warnings. So likewise, one of the scholars, he wrote a beautiful thing, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the difficult ayat which from a practicing perspective are also difficult and the warnings and that nature of Nabi to be strict when strictness is required those sifat were transmitted to Rasulullah and that message was transmitted to Rasulullah through the difficult form of wahi and the softness in his nature that had to be cultivated and the softness in those ahkam that had to be given to the ummah that was cultivated where? That was transmitted to Nabi Sallallahu through the soft ayah. And through the soft means of revelation, subhanAllah. That is another beautiful uh, point that we came across. Another lesson we learned, subhanAllah, is The difference in the wording, I alluded to this at the end of last session, right, with the Iqamah time. Is here we see when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says in the first form, when it came in the form of the ringing of the bells, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used the past tense here. He says here, وَقَدْ وَعَيْتُ عَنْهُ مَا قَالْ So this is the highlighted word. When the wahi finished the ringing of the bells, my condition was such, وَعَيْتُ عَنْهُ This is the past tense, fair al-Maldi. I had completely done wa'i. What's wa'i? Wa'iyun means hiv and faham. To memorize the words and to understand both. Like Rasulullah said, made a dua. Nadarullahum ra'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep fresh and radiant and happy and healthy. Imra'an, such a person. Sami'a maqalati, who hears my words, my ahadith. Fawa'aha. And he does wa'i of it. This same word, wa'itu, wa'aha, wa'wa'in ya, wa'aha. Wa'aha means he memorizes those words and he understands those words. He memorizes the words and he understands the meanings behind the words. Because they're al-fad and ma'ani, words and meanings. So he memorizes the words and he understands the meanings of those words. And then, that's it? No. Wa'addaha kama sami'aha. Then he transmits it further on to those. He transmits the knowledge. And when he transmits it, he doesn't add anything from his own side. Kama sami'aha, exactly how he heard it. Because it is very possible that when he transmits these hadith further on, then the one who receives the hadith from him, he may be able to potentially extract such rulings, such wisdom, such understanding from the hadith that the one who transmitted to him, the teacher who transmitted the words to him, himself may be unaware of. So in this hadith, you have the word wa'a, 
which means to memorize the words and also understand the meanings. So when it came as a sal salatul jaras, like the ringing of the bell, Nabi ﷺ said, فَيُفْصَمُ It ends. This fasmun means to end. Like for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَا إِكْرَاهَ فِي الدِّينَ There is no compulsion in deen. There is no compulsion in faith. Allah Ta'ala, by the way, He's just is giving a, a news, khabar. There is no compulsion. He's not saying, do not compel people to believe. Rather, He's saying, you can't compel people. It's not possible. There's a difference between negation and prohibition. Allah is not prohibiting us. He's saying, do not compel people. Rather, He's negating it. He's saying, can't even happen. Something which is possible, I could prohibit it. I could say, like... Uh, If, 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 the, if something uh, inappropriate haram is happening and you can see so I will say don't look there so that's prohibition and may, uh, may Allah reward the person who makes sabr on his blindness man uqtilia whoever is tested with blindness for the two beloved blessings have taken away from the two eyes for sabara and he's patient the iwad is jannah comes in the hadith so if there's a blind person will I tell the blind person don't look there or what will I say you cannot see that. When I say you cannot see that, what have I done? Negated his eyesight. They made nafi of it. I said you can't see. And if I say don't look there, what am I doing? Huh? I'm prohibiting. So Allah Ta'ala says, there is no compulsion. Why? It's because this is simple, simple answer. Somebody says, oh, Islam spread with the sword. Iman's, Iman is a condition of the heart. And no government, no authority, no police, no one with the power of the gun and the sword can what? Cannot compel you to believe what's in your heart. Outward Islam, outwardly, yeah, they could make you wear this dress or you'll be shot. Fine. Wear a hijab or you'll be shot. Wear a niqab or you'll be shot even. Or flogged. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. Whatever. So, if you, that, that outward compulsion, could potentially be done through a police force, right? But can you, can, and, can you know, the kings and the rulers and the government and the police, do they rule what's happening in the heart? No. They cannot rule the hearts of man or woman. <laughs> so, subhanallah. That's why Allah Ta'ala is saying, Iman is not outward. Even, even if you enforce the Sharia in a land, in a country of people who don't like the Sharia, you can at maximum enforce outward compliance. But in the heart, huh? It's, you cannot control the heart. So if you want to bring, bring a true Islamic society, is it going to happen by bringing Islamic government or is it going to happen from grassroots? It has to be grassroots. It has to be bottom up. The top down model is not going to work. Right? It simply is just not going to work. You know, uh, I mean there's, so many examples of this throughout history. It just, it just random thing comes to mind. It's like one of Tariq Jamil Saab. He says that when I was in medical school, the warden in the medical school, there was one uh, Pathan, he says, he was a very namazi. He was namazi meaning he would pray salah, right? For those who are, don't know Urdu and listening online or on site. So he, would, he was very punctual in his prayer. And I don't think he was necessarily part of his job description because this is a medical school. It wasn't a dini madrasa. But he would 
uh, literally get mad with his stick and he'd beat on the doors of the, of the, of the, of the rooms in the, in the hostel and make the people go and pray. So Mawlana Tarah Jameel says about himself, because we get in trouble with the warden, we would go and pray salah what? Without wudu. Because إِنَّمَا الْعَمَالُ بِالنِّيَةِ The niyyah here is, is specifically to get this warden off our back. It is not ibtigha'a wajhi Allah, right? Seeking the pleasure of Allah. That's not the intention. So, you cannot compel. It has to come from inside. So Allah Ta'ala says, لَا fi deen. There is no compulsion in faith. He's not saying don't compel people. Because there's no point in preventing people from that which is impossible to do anyway. That's like telling the blind person, don't look, don't look, it's haram. Can you? Are you going to tell the blind person, don't look? Or are you going to say, oh, you're lucky, you can't even see it. Right? So Allah Ta'ala is not saying, don't compel people and force them to have iman. Rather Allah is saying, you can't even compel people anyway. The path of guidance and misguidance has become absolutely clear. Because someone who has inaba wants to find guidance, he will find it. If someone doesn't care, he won't find it. Then Allah Ta'ala says, What comes after that? Whoever disbelieves in the in kufr and shaitan, he has grabbed on to the strong link to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a very famous ayah. The ayah right before it is what? Ayatul Kursi. That's the reason I mentioned this. That link with Allah that he's held on to will never break, will never end, will never terminate. That's the same word here. When this wahi, this revelation concludes, ends. And whatever was revealed is, is preserved in my mind and the meaning is understood. Then, in the second one, he says, sometimes the angel comes to me, Rajulan, as a human being, فَيُكَلِّمِنِ He speaks to me. Over here, he doesn't say, وَعِيتُ even if you don't understand Arabic, you can notice that there's a ayn and a ya here. But it's a different word. This is a present tense verb. Fair mudari. Fa'ai. Which means, and as he is speaking, I'm grasping. I'm understanding and I'm memorizing. I'm memorizing the words and I'm understanding the meanings as he is speaking to me. Let me just, I never looked at the English translation here, see if he even shows the difference. Not really. He says here, in English he says, uh, and then this state passes off after I have grasped. He's passed. Meaning, when this condition is over me, he doesn't know what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is saying. I, um, it's not that, if, for example, if there's Sallallahu Alaihi is continuing, the ringing of the bells is continuing for 10 minutes. Minute one, I understood and and memorize the minute two, minute three. No, he's gone. He's gone from this school, uh, from this physical world. He has elevated into that realm, and he has no idea, frankly, what's happening. And when that entire transmission finishes, and when he comes back, he's coming back in such a state that hundred percent, one time, one shot, all of the message is 
crystal clear in his mind the words and the meaning. Subhanallah. Okay. And on the other hand, over here, فَيُكَلِّمُنِي Jibril is speaking to me. As he's speaking to me, you can take whatever unit you want. You want to take a unit of 10 second unit. First 10 seconds, what he said, I understood and memorized. Next 10 seconds, next. Six of these segments, one minute. Then another 60 seconds, second minute, third minute. As he is speaking, I'm understanding and memorizing at the same time. Subhanallah. That is why Nabi Wasallam switched the verb. In the first scenario, he was the past tense verb, wa'aitu. In the second scenario, he was the present tense verb, fa'ayi. So the question is, what about us? How much wa'i are we doing? Are we understanding anything? I hope so. I'm trying to break it down as easy as possible. Another thing is, when Jibreel was coming, the question is, this, uh, this angel, he said, Al-Malak. Who is this angel? There's long discussion about it. Is it limited to Jibreel or other angels as well? The reality is, when it comes to the Quran, there's no doubt it's only Jibreel But when it comes to his whole life and communication with angels, there are examples of other angels coming in the form of human beings. Some of them you may be aware of. One amongst them is the incident of Israfil alayhi salam. There is in the beginning of his nubuwa. There is also the example of in the incident of Taif. The angels that were appointed to, go, uh, to control the mountains. They came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi salam. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, if you give us the order, then we will allow them, uh, bring the mountains together to squash the city in between. And then, uh, so, it, but when it comes to revelation of the Quran, the Quran did not come through Israfil or any other Malakul Jabal. It only came through Jibreel. Then he had this word, Rajulan. Is it, who is this man? Is Dehya Kalbi. Is it always Dehya Kalbi? When, not necessarily. Can it be other than Dehya Kalbi? Yes. Do we have evidence of it? Yes. Where is Sahih Bukhari itself in the famous hadith? Which hadith? A man came. How was this man? Very well known hadith, right? Shadidu thiyab. Whitest of white clothes. Shadidu sawad al-sha'ar. Blackest of black hair. And inshallah, if you get to it, we'll cover this whole hadith. Very, very beautiful hadith. I think we did it in one of the sessions, right? Which one? Huh? We did it? Yeah. A couple times from here. No, 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 not. Of course, we mention it in khutbahs all the time, but detailed analysis like this. No. We did it in one of the workshops somewhere, I think so. There is no sign of suffer upon him. None of us recognize him. Very beautiful hadith. So, in that hadith, there's a man. If he was coming in the form of Dehya Kalbi, everyone would know him. The reason everyone know him, he was, um, you know, he was Mr. Medina. He was the most handsome man. Dahiya Kalbi, radiallahu anhu, I shouldn't say that in the sense he wasn't like, you know, na'udhu billah, half-naked bodybuilder. Right, na'udhu billah. What I meant by that is he was the most handsome uh, man of Medina, so handsome that he became a fitna. 
for the woman. And he was at times instructed, he would cover himself up when he would go out to protect. He didn't want to become a source of uh, fitna for the woman. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had selected him to be the ambassador and carry the letters. Carry one of the letters to the kings when he wrote the letters. As he was a very presentable, handsome Sahabi of Rasulullah Jibreel came in his would come in his shape. But in this case he didn't. Right? That's why no one recognized him. And at the end, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he asked the companions around him that Hal uh, what? Do you know who the questioner was? They said, Allah Rasulullah Alam, Allah and His Rasul know best. Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Innahu Jibreel Atakum Yu'allimukum Deenakum. It was Jibreel, he came to teach you your deen. Um, so in this scenario, he came as a questioner. There's, you know, people who want to attack the Quran, whatever opportunity they get, a'udhu billah. I mean, this is not even worth refuting. But in, there's one hadith that uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that I did not recognize him in the beginning. I didn't know who he was, where the guy came from. And then I was informed that he is Jibreel. Imagine, they take this orientalist and they say, oh, if he could not recognize Jibreel, then what if shaitan came and he thought he was Jibreel too? And shaitan comes and teaches him the Quran and he says, oh, that must be Jibreel. He didn't know what's going on. Na'udhu billah. When it came to wahi, divine revelation of the Qur'an, of course he knew he was Jibreel salam. In this case, he came, the purpose of him coming was to come as an anonymous questioner. That's why his identity was not revealed to Nabi Wasallam in the beginning. And then he was informed later on. That was not the Qur'an. So Alhamdulillah, I think whatever was muqaddar for us, decreed for us to be able to extract from this hadith, we were able to cover that. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to give us tawfiq, to make amal. And again, let us continue to remind ourselves as we are um, studying about wahi in this chapter. The end of the day, the biggest doubt people have about the deen and all of the shubuhat that they have and confusion that they have is because of lack of belief in wahi. And once our yaqeen becomes strong in the reality of, this, of divine revelation, then alhamdulillah, we can be following the deen with basira, with itminan uh, qalb walakin qalbi, with contentment, alhamdulillah, and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that alhamdulillah ladhi hadana. Aisha radhanha, she's describing the last comment about as a description of uh, how difficult she saw. There are so many examples of that. I mentioned about the thigh as well, right? Zayd bin Thabit. The whole story I didn't mention. The whole story of that is Allah Ta'ala revealed the ayah. La yastawil qa'iduna min al-mu'minina wal-mujahiduna fi sabirillah. That's the first ayah that was revealed. Those that are striving the path of Allah and, and jihad and those who are sitting at home, they can never be equal. Then Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, the blind sahabi, he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He said, Ya Rasulullah, Allah Ta'ala said that those who are striving and those who are sitting at home can never be equal. If I had vision, I would definitely love to strive in the path of Allah. I cannot participate in jihad because I cannot see. Then Zayd ibn radiallahu anhu says that Allah, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had called me to write this wahi down. And he had fresh wahi had come because he was one of the katibina wahi, he was one of the scribes who would write down the revelation.
And subhanallah, just like there are examples of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu he is giving his mashwara, then Allah Ta'ala is revealing ayat. This is an example of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. It's not only the story of Abbas Tawalla, where he, he, uh, he was part of the Sabah of Nuzul, cause of revelation here as well. Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, a condition came upon him, and his, uh, his knee was on the thigh of uh, Zayd radiallahu anhu. And he said that he went into such a condition and hal, I felt that the weight such that I felt my thigh is going to be completely crushed. And then after that condition passed, subhanallah, he told me, as you're riding the wahi, imagine subhanallah, what a noble companion of Rasulullah what an honor that he hears the wahi for the first time. And he is riding the wahi down. It's like hot, fresh off the press. You know, this hot, just revealed first from directly from Allah, from Nuh al-Mahfuz, through Jibreel al-Islam comes. And he added, With the exception of those who are handicapped or in difficulty. So remember last time I said there was only three words? This is the story behind why it was only three words. So that is an example as well. Now, uh, Nabi, uh, Aisha Radlana is giving the example of how, uh, uh, as uh, a symptom of the difficulty. Yeah, the, the Quran is revealed through Jibreel alayhi salam. Yeah, the entire Quran. The other wahid that is Ghayr Maslu could directly inspire through ru'ya, through dreams. Directly Allah is speaking to him. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa hijab behind the veil in Mi'raj. That's not part of the Matlu Quran. What Allah Ta'ala spoke to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Mi'raj, that is, uh, that is between the two. Allahu khairan. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.